0: you would bear with me as we walk through a quick summary of Act 25, and just as a precursor to that, in Acts 24, you had Felix, who was the governor at the time. Uh, he had imprisoned Paul for two years, and now we find uh, Felix is turning over the reins to Festus, and still, when he left, rather than, rather than let Paul go, he still was catering to the Jews. So here we go. We, we move into chapter 25 and Festus is now arriving in Caesarea, and he's, he's there for about three days, and he decides to go down to Jerusalem. In that time, he goes down there. It's the capital of the Jews, so clearly, before he got there, he knew that there was riots down there, that he there knew that there was unrest down there, and as the politician that he is, he figured he'd go down there and smooth things out. Well, clearly, when he got there, he really didn't know what he was going to run up against because the priest at that time had so much bitterness and hatred and, and, and guile for, for Paul in his ministry, that even though Paul had been in, in, in prison for two years, they still hated him with a passion. They still hated his word. So they began to ask F- favor from, from Festus, saying, you know, can you send him from Caesarea down to Jerusalem? Because uh, we'd rather try him there. And, and, and you know, the favor really wasn't a favor. What they're really saying was, if you send Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem, then maybe we'll have a chance to kill him. Oh, but you see, God had a different plan. Festus told him, no, we're not going to send him down there to Jerusalem for trial. Matter of fact, um, you're welcome to come to my house. We're welcome to come to Caesarea for trial because, you know what, I'm still in charge here. So God used Festus's pride to make sure that Paul was not ambushed on the way to Jerusalem. So the Jews had no choice. They followed him. They followed uh, Festus down to Caesarea. And they made their false claims there against Paul. And Paul defended himself as, he, as we know he would. He said, I, I haven't done anything against the law. I haven't done anything against the temple, and I haven't done anything against Caesar. But Festus was still, he was still determined to get his, wash his hands and help the Jews, so he tried to get Paul to go back down to Jerusalem, but Paul wasn't stupid. He said, they're trying to kill me down there. They they want my head down there. Why would I go to Jerusalem? He said, no, what I want to do, I'm, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. I have a right to hear my case heard before Caesar. So, Sort of like us appealing to the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court here in the U.S. So Festus had no other choice but to honor the rights of a Roman citizen, but to send him on to see Caesar. Festus was probably relieved that he, had to wash his, that he was able to wash his hands of the situation and not have to decide between the Jews and Paul. Festus immediately <clears throat> finds himself in a situation where Agrippa coming to town. He's got a sister with him, Bernice. So he sees this as an opportunity. He says, Agrippa, you know, I have this guy, Paul, and he's been in jail for two years, but he had, I have nothing against him. And there's no, there's no, no, nothing to warn him being in prison. There's nothing to warn him to have death. And so maybe, uh, maybe, Agrippa, uh, you can help me figure out what to write to Caesar about this guy, Paul, because all the, the, the issue seems to be about Jesus and whether he's alive or dead, which is no concern of mine. But they want him dead, so I got to go. He appealed to Caesar. I got to send him there. So maybe Agrippa, you can help me examine him and come up with something to write to Caesar about why he's on trial. You see, chapter 25 was really just a setup for what was going to happen with the conversation with King Agrippa and Paul. God was working something out in chapter 25. He was He had removed Felix and and installed Festus, and Festus didn't knew nothing about the Jewish customs, he was a novice, he was a a new governor. And the the, the disdain that the Jews had for Paul, God had made sure that he was going to force him to Rome, he was going to force him to talk to Agrippa. Paul's protection from God, from murder, was another act of God's providence over the situation. Paul's appeal to Caesar was not by accident. All this was leading to the moment that Paul would have with the king and the governors and all the movers and shakers of the town of Caesarea, bringing Paul one step closer to the Lord, one step closer to Rome. No one could have told Paul when he was persecuting the Christians that one day he would stand before the kings and the governors and preach about Jesus and the hope that he has fulfilled in all of us. Who but God could have orchestrated this opportunity for Paul to tell his story? So with that, let us read in chapter 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to take my, make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my nation, my own nation, and in Jerusalem, is known all, by all the Jews. They have a long t- have a long time; they have known for a long time that they are willing to testify that, according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope, for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I then, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O oh, king, I saw the way, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone, all, shone around me, and those journeyed with me. And we had, when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you perse- persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which you have, I will appear to you, delivering you from, the, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by my faith. both to the small and the great, saying nothing but what the prophets and the Moses had said will come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying this, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been free. He could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The message today is a short one. The message is, share your story. It's a simple message. But as we travel through this text, it's about sharing your story. So here in chapter 26, God presents Paul with another opportunity to share his story. Another opportunity to share the good news. Another opportunity to speak of the hope he has in the promises of God. And another opportunity to tell people that Jesus is truly alive. You see, unlike in the previous trials, here there are no Jews taunting him. No murderous plots coming at him. No one calling for his head. No one interrupting him. You see, King Agrippa had, had drawn only the prominent people of Caesarea with all the pomp and circumstances expected of a king. Luke's accounts here is beginning verse three, one through three with Paul acting both in authority and humility, raising his hand to silence the people and gain their attention because he had something important to share with them. At the same time, while he was greeting them, he said to King Agrippa with gladness and humility, he's fortunate to be in front of him, making his defense because he was such a learned man, familiar with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Finally, Paul thought to himself, finally, I found a man that may receive what I'm about to say because Agrippa knows the law and the prophets. And he begged Agrippa to listen to him patiently. You see, this may take a while, but it's worth it. Now, because of the way the Jews had treated him, plus he had already spent two years in prison, undeservedly, And the fact that he had already appealed to Caesar, you see, Paul had every right to refuse to talk to the king. Oh, but how could he refuse? The Lord had told him to be a witness for him, to everyone of what he had heard and seen on the road to Damascus. Surely he would not hold back on sharing the hope that Jesus is alive. Surely he would not hold back on letting people know that he talked to him, he walked with him, he spoke to him. Surely he would remain obedient to what God has called him to do. We too have a story to tell. We have a hope to share to the rich or the poor, the prominent or those of low estate, to mean-spirited or the overwhelming accommodating people to family, friends, and strangers? Would we pick and choose who deserves to hear our story? Would we discriminate where to cast the seeds of the good news while making presumptions about whether the soil is fertile enough? Will we refuse our great commission in Matthew 28, 19 to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, it's time to tell your story. In verses 4 through 8, Paul shares with the king who he used to be and the real reason he's being accused. He was a Pharisee, known by all the Jews who live by the strictest part of the religion, but now he stands trial Why? Because of the hope he has in the promises made by God to his forefathers. The promises made by God to the twelve tribes of Israel. He stands on trial because of the hope in the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. Hope in the seed of Abraham prophesied in Genesis 22 and 17. Paul wondered why it was so hard for the Jews to believe in the resurrection. To believe that Jesus was alive and not dead. It's one thing to say you believe. But when you're truly faced with making a decision, where you act on your belief, if they had accepted the fact that Jesus was alive, then they would have to acknowledge that He too was the Messiah. That the promises of God had been fulfilled. We have a hope. A hope in the promise of eternal life. A hope of a home in heaven. A hope of a place without pain or suffering. No more tears, no more sorrow. A hope that because of the faith faith in Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how many times we've messed up. What Jesus did on the cross for us is sufficient. That is our hope. And our hope is in eternity. Tell somebody your story. Looking at verse 9 through 11, Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blasphemy and in, in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Here, Paul clearly is bearing his soul. He's confessing his sins. He speaks of the terrible and murderous things that he's done to all the Christians. It would be so easy for us at this time to look at Paul's life and shake our head of how terrible he really was. So easy to think that I'm not quite as bad as Paul. But the truth be told, we were, all, we were all enemies of God before we met Jesus. We were all doing things that were not aligned with God's word before we met Jesus. We may not have been pursuing Christians on the road to Damascus, but we were on the road nonetheless. A road that was leading us straight to a permanent separation from God for all eternity. You see, for some, sharing this part of your story may be painful. Sharing the part that talks about what I used to be. Sometimes we're afraid to be transparent, afraid to admit we were lost. Afraid to admit that we made some mistakes. You see, the enemy would have us living in the past. Living in shame, living with guilt. Not walking in our true new identity. Identity as adopted children of the Most High God. He would have us forget the hope that we have in the Creator God. Forgetting our hope that we have in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus having us not focused on what we have become but focused on what we used to be. The enemy would have us forget about the redeeming redeeming blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for us. Why? Because he knows that there's power in your story. He knows that through your story someone might be saved. He knows that through your personal testimony somebody can be encouraged. He's afraid that when you share your story, somebody might step up and say, what must I do to be saved? We have to not walk in fear of what might happen when we share our story, not walk in fear of whether people are going to reject us, but say that fear is not of God, that the enemy is trying to fool our minds, that we need to know that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Tell the enemy, no matter what he tries to do, I'm going to share my story. Paul told Agrippa his past because he wanted him to know from where God had brought him from. Not that Paul would get glory from it, not that Paul would be lifted up by it, but that God would get the glory, that Jesus' name would get the glory. Our story has been given to us, given to us so that God would get the glory. Looking at verses 12 through 18, here Paul recounts his Damascus road encounter with Jesus where he was commissioned by Christ, appointed as a servant and told by Jesus to tell the Gentiles what he'd seen and heard, that Jesus is truly alive, to open their eyes that they may turn from the darkness to the light, to turn from the power of Satan to God and receive the forgiveness of sins for the faith by the faith in Jesus. But notice here that Paul did not talk about the three days he spent with Ananias as he did in the previous chapters. Paul didn't talk about the sacrifice on the cross. Paul's focus was on the fact that Jesus is alive. Paul knew that the main problem that the Jews had was his proclamation that Jesus had truly been resurrected. That he had talked to Jesus, walked with Jesus, seen Jesus, spoke to Jesus. Just as Jesus had promised in John 2.19 when he said to the Jews, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I will raise up my body. You see, that's where the problem came in. Yes, he was God in the flesh. He was able to raise up his body, but the Jews could not accept that. Jesus had a specific assignment for Paul. He told him where to go, who to talk to, and what to say. The question is, where is God sending you? To whom is God sending you? What word has he given for you to share? What experience has he placed in your life to share with somebody else? Somebody else that needs to be encouraged. Somebody else that needs to be told it's going to be okay. Somebody else to know that God is still in the healing business. There may not have been a blinding light. You may not have seen Jesus face to face. But the Holy Spirit has called your name. He has given you a new identity and a new purpose. And someone needs to hear your story. Looking at verse 19 through 23, notice that Paul's focus is definitely on King Agrippa as he speaks of his own obedience to the heavenly vision it be it's it's beginning to feel like this is a one-on-one session between Paul and Agrippa he speaks of preaching repentance in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and to the Gentiles speaking only about the prophets and Moses and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer and being the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to the Jews and the Gentiles. Prophets in the law that Agrippa was more than familiar with. He was now speaking directly to Agrippa in his language. He's appealing to Agrippa's knowledge of the Old Testament. I would imagine that Paul pointed him to the book of Isaiah, the prophet, where in Isaiah 11:1 through 5. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from the shoot will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He might have turned to Agrippa and said, let me show you in the New Testament. These words from Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight of the blind and to set liberty to those who are oppressed. Maybe Paul said to King Agrippa, remember Isaiah 40, 3 and 4, where it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord to make straight in the desert a highway of God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain. He might have looked at Agrippa and said, you know what, Matthew was talking about John the Baptist the same way. In Matthew 3, 1 and 3. And Matthew says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That which is prophesied, my family, has come true. The hope of the nation of Israel has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The hope of the Gentiles has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The captives have been set free, and those that were blind now can see. We were those captives. We were the one bound in chains. Now we're free. Now we can see. God has opened our eyes to the reality of who we now belong to, and that is Jesus Christ. The question is, will you share your story? Yes, just as the Jews tried to kill Paul for sharing his story, we too will face rejection and persecution. But the word of God says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on, your, on, on his account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our hope is greater than what we see through our temporal eyes. Our reward is greater because it's a reward in eternity. But I'm not asking you to do anything that's easy. It's not easy to get out there and share your testimony. It's not easy to face rejection. It's not easy to know that you may be walking towards the cross. No one wants to feel rejected. Paul even tells us in verse 22, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. You see, we can't do this alone. Paul was in prison for two years. They tried to kill him three times. It wasn't in his own strength that he was able to endure and persevere. It was because he had God on his side. God was his protector. God was his keeper. God was his comforter. So we don't have to share our faith in our own strength. We can call on the Holy Spirit to direct us and give us wisdom and guidance. God said he would never leave us nor forsake us. So wherever he sends us, he's already prepared the way. We just have to trust him. Someone needs encouragement today. Someone needs to know that there's a way out, there's a light ahead. Someone needs to know that Jesus is the one that can deliver them out of a situation. We just have to be willing to share the story. As painful as it may be, as hard as it may be, God wants to use your testimony. Looking at verse 24 through 31, it's interesting here in the beginning of this section, even though... Paul was directing his conversation to Agrippa. It's Festus who starts calling him names. It's Festus that jumps in and starts calling him crazy, out of his mind, uh, his learning, his driving him nuts. And you know, it's Festus who really Paul wasn't even really talking to him. But that didn't slow Paul down. No, he just redirected the conversation back to Agrippa. You see, anytime we're trying to share the good news, anytime we're trying to do the right thing, anytime we're trying to let somebody know what God has done in our lives, we're going to get distracted. The enemy will throw something our way somebody, something, some event that would try to deter our course from what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. Festus was trying to take away from what Paul was doing with Agrippa. He could feel the spirit moving in that place. The enemy's tricks don't change. He's always trying to distract us from our mission. But Paul instead turns to Agrippa and says, Oh, king, I know you've noticed what's been going on with this this, this man, Jesus, because what happened was not done in some deep corner. You've heard about it. King, you you believe in the prophets. I, I know you do. You see, Paul was yearning deeply for Agrippa to admit that he could not deny the truth that what was prophesied had, in fact, been fulfilled in Christ. He, He wanted so badly for Agrippa to connect the dots and say yes to Jesus. He longed for Agrippa, such a learned man, to maybe recall Isaiah 53, where it says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Agrippa still wasn't moving. He wouldn't yield. The Spirit was pulling on him, calling him. Instead, he said to Paul, You really think that you can just convert me in this short period of time? You see, sometimes even when you step out on faith, even when you're sharing your story, even when you're you're reaching out to people in love with the gospel, you're not always going to get accepted. They're not always going to yield. They're not always going to submit. Sometimes they're just going to push you away. Paul poured out his heart to Agrippa, but yet he did not yield. Does that mean that we give up and sharing our testimony? Does that mean that we stop sharing the good news? Paul answers that question. He says, whether it's a short time or a long time, it doesn't matter to me. I'm in it for the long haul. My only desire is that you be like me a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a willing vessel, obedient to everything that God would have us to do, facing adversity, willing to press through and persevere, a pursuer of souls, a fisherman of men. You see, Agrippa and Festus left the council without any further acknowledgement of what Paul shared. The light of Christ was too convicting for them. Regardless of what you may think about your story, God is going to put you in a place to share it. God is going to position you to share your story. You see, who knows what happened in the hearts of the other men that were there at that council. Maybe the seed was just being planted, and someone else would come along and water, and someone else would come along and harvest You don't know what your role is in that process. Here we have a trial that started out with Paul being examined by prominent men, but quickly turned to Agrippa and the other attendees being examined by the Holy Spirit. Yes, they left the court saying Paul could be free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. But they didn't understand that was Paul was already free. He was already free in Christ Jesus, that they were the ones still in bondage, that they were still the ones that were prisoners of the enemy. You may think to yourself, if I'm ever on trial for my faith, I'm going to take a stand for Jesus. If I'm ever persecuted for my faith, I'm going to persevere and not waver. If, if, I'm, if I'm ever confronted about what I believe in, I'm going to stand fast and immovable. If the trial ever comes, I'm not going to be moved. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that we're on trial right now, every day. We're on trial in our workplace We're on trial in our homes. We're on trial in our schools, at the grocery store, in our neighborhoods, at the movie theater. Wherever we go, the world is watching. Somebody is examining us. Every day, the world is testing us. The world is examining us. The world is seeking answers from us, trying to understand or undermine what this thing of Jesus that we're talking about. When we walk out these doors, And you profess the name of Jesus, somebody wants to know. You may be saying to yourself, Brother Dave, I don't have a a wild, wild, wild story to tell, I don't have a Damascus Road experience to share. I was not delivered from drugs or alcohol or delivered from pornography or healed from sexual abuse. Uh, I I was not healed from cancer or I'd never had my sight restored. I'd never had those kinds of major overcomings in my life. Oh, but what we have is the greatest story ever told. What we have is the story about Jesus, the one who... Came down and wrapped himself in flesh. The God that came and went to the cross for us. The God that sacrificed his life for us. The God that said yes, no matter what the pain was, to take on the sins of the world. The God that said, if you trust in me, you will live eternally. That is the story. That is the story that we have to share with the world that because of Jesus, we're not going to spend eternity in hell. That is the story that people want to hear that there's a way out. Don't be afraid to share your story. Don't be afraid to tell somebody what God has done in your life. Don't be afraid to tell them who you used to be. But praise God for who we are right now. Somebody in your life wants to know what God has done for you. Somebody wants to know why should I believe in this Jesus? Share your testimony. Share what God has done. I'll leave you with this. Um, You know, you talk about sharing your stories and sharing what God has done um, and not be afraid because God wants to use it. Uh, I go back about 30 years ago and my wife was diagnosed with lupus and uh, it was hard it was hard but through that process one day she was trying to feed us at the table and she was trying to pour juice around the table and the juice was going all over the table and I was looking at her like what's going on and she broke down Tears flowing. She said, I can't see. I can't see. We took her to the doctor. doctor said, it's irreparable. The back of her cornea is perforated. It's never going to heal. But she knew the Lord. She started praying. I was a bystander at the time. She called the saints. They started praying. And now her sight's better than mine. Praise God. You see, but here's the story. She held on to that story probably for 15 years. She didn't share that story until God poked her one day and said, you need to tell people about what I did for you. You need to tell people what I brought you through. Now she can't stop telling the story. And because of that, people that have come to know her, they are now encouraged by her story. They now know and look at sickness as not unto death, but knowing that God is still a healer. Because of her story, those that have come close to her and hear it, feel encouraged, knowing that God is still in the healing business. Because of her story. I can walk through my cancer knowing that God is still in the healing business. Because of her story. I have a story. We all have a story to tell. My story. A father that wasn't a father. A husband that wasn't a husband. I was a bad father. And a bad husband. And if it wasn't for God, I don't know where we'd be. It's, when I came to Riverside, there was nothing left to our marriage but dust. We just sat here. Dust. But you see, once I start pursuing Christ, once I start chasing after him, that's when he revealed himself to me. That's when he said, i got a plan for you, <clears throat> but you got to get right with me. So it's been years. I've been Riverside for a while, but I praise God for where I am right now, because it was only by His grace and mercy. And I'll just share this with you real quick, and I'll let you go. Uh, I had a birthday that just passed and as I said I wasn't a very good father and I wasn't a very good husband, terrible husband. I'll start with this from my oldest. He says, thanks dad for being such an awesome godly presence in our lives and I am truly thankful and blessed have you as my dad my other son dad be strong and courageous and don't be afraid do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you this past year I've seen you live that out And I've taken notes and I trust and celebrate what God is doing in your life. Nobody but God. And finally, from my precious flower, it says this, to my husband, God wanted us to be together. I believe with all my heart, our love was meant to be. And I thank God for you with all my soul and love you with all my heart. 10 years ago, I would not have gotten this card. That's what God can do in your life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you submit, submit your will to God, and watch him work. There's nothing that God can't do, but somebody needs to hear your story. Somebody needs to know that the brokenness of marriage can be repaired. Somebody needs to know that all sickness is not unto death. Somebody needs to know that if you can come out of recovery by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they can too. Will you share your story? Will you let someone know how good God has been to you? Don't be afraid. Let God direct your footsteps and watch him work. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.